Hello and welcome back. We're not going to start the show with a snack today because we're going to get right into a chat with Dr. Kelly Victory. She's back on the show and we're kind of taking a look back at what's been going on for the last uh, couple of years with coronavirus. So stick around and, and learn a little bit. And welcome back to Snack a Little, Talk a Little. I'm Mark. And I'm Jenna. Wait, no, Snack. Not right yeah, now. Yeah, we, 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 uh, we have a, a special Victory guest. Dr. Victory is our snack. Yeah, she's... Yeah, ooh. <laughs> uh, Dr. Victory's coming up on the show. And uh, we're doing this show because we want to... You know, we're getting new listeners all the time. Yeah. And uh, we kind of wanted to revisit and a not, little bit yeah, the, and, uh, the coronavirus. And not every listener agrees with what Dr. Victory is, uh, is saying right. and what uh, her experience is in the medical field. And some people, and what she is saying is not what you're hearing in the in news. It media, is changing right. now. There are things that she's been saying for, what now, two and a half years? Right. That now, just now, we're starting to hear uh, about certain things, about things that you can do to take care of your body, you know, lose weight, um, get exercise, supplement with vitamins yeah we are hearing things like that now more well at at all which whereas we weren't before and she's been saying that all along which i don't have a problem with that i think doctors isn't that kind of their job you've had something like that happen before where they told you you're low on vitamin d you need to right right Uh, me of all people who's out in the sun often was low on vitamin d and stuff like that and and this was that was that was honestly that was uh january 2020 that was before yeah COVID hit the States and became a thing. So you guys, before we have our chat with Dr. Victory, she's been on the show, we think, six or seven times. Six times. This is her seventh appearance, I believe. And I want to go back to, and I've spoken to this before, but some of you aren't aware of this. My mother is now 95, and she is a great, great physician. And I trust this woman with my mother's life, and she's a great person. When this first started, she, my mother and I were at the doctor's office and this physician in a hushed tone, even though it was only the three of us in the office, was telling me she'd never seen anything like this, the hysteria. And she said, this is going to be with us for a long time. And she says, of course, you need to protect your mother, which which I'm careful around mom in any cold and flu season and just in in general because of her age. And I mean, generally, aren't we like that when we're sick anyhow? I I would hope most people are, if not all. I would hope all people are. Yeah. But it was the way that that um, that she felt like she had to speak quietly about it right. already in the Just beginning. The three of you in the office, and right? that she was in shock by what was going on. We spoke again uh, later, and at that time, I talked to her because this is when uh, hydroxychloroquine were now being like, you know, like no, ah, no, you're not supposed to, and it's not approved for that. Which you guys, there are medications all the time that people take that are not they're they're FDA approved and they're safe for humans to take and it's certainly up to the patient and the doctor to decide if they want well, to take, go that route and, and I hope I'm not uh nope, go. telling tales out of school about your mom yep. but because of her heart issues and all that she's taking Viagra yes right yes because Viagra was originally for opening blood vessels and stuff like that right. and they found out well actually sudenafil they yes. found out that it helped with the erectile dysfunction, 
and uh, I don't have that issue, ladies. Uh, but <laughs> but no, he keeps no, up. But, but he they... keeps up on the news. And... <laughs> What's going on? I there? take a rigid stance, uh, <laughs> but they found out that Is that, that hard happened. to do. <laughs> Sorry, no, we need to keep this serious. Okay, so anyway, but I. I the thing is, is that it, it, they found that it opened, you know, blood flow and blood vessels yes. and everything in, in the spongy material of the penis. And because of that, they rebranded it as Viagra yeah. specifically for that. But that's not what originally was. That, Correct. That's, that's the long way of saying <laughs> what Jan is saying is that there's a lot of medications that were made for one thing, but are effective for others, and they're still safe to take. But the response from people about hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, as an example, was very flaccid from certain <laughs> people. <laughs> but, okay. So the next time we're in there, I don't know if I can keep this up. <laughs> I talked to the doctor again about those, and she said they are safe. But she says actually, I think that there are other medications that I, that to me are better, and I've used it on my patients. Here's here's part of why we want to have her on the show. I love that this was a doctor that, even though she was potentially going to get yelled at and canceled. She was still trying to treat her patients, and we were in, to borrow Dr. Drew Pinsky's saying, in the fog of war. And I'm pretty sure, after talking to different physicians that we have, and it just makes sense, you're using everything you can to try and figure out what's going to work. Because right now, this is new, and we don't know what's going to work. So we're going to use it all as long as it's safe, and it should be tolerated based on the kind of medication the person is taking, their age, their health condition, of course, a doctor is going to do that. Right. That's what they go to school for. Right. And so uh, fast forward, I end up in the hospital and it's the same thing because I'm still a podcaster. I was very sick, almost died. A lot of you know this. Right. But I'm asking the nurses because this is in the middle of all of that. And I'm like, so how are things going on here? And da, da, da. Same thing. They're looking over their shoulders. They're talking in hushed voices. And they're saying, I've never seen anything like Unbelievable. this. Unbelievable. The medical I'm community silenced if they don't speak the right words. Yes. On stuff that's on basic scientific or medical principles that that have been medical principles for a long time. And it, and it made me concerned because I've lived in America all of my life and I've never seen people so frightened to give an opinion or talk about what they're experiencing in their job. And then I happened to hear Dr. Kelly Victory on the radio and I'm like, wow, what she's saying, for me, it made me want to hear more because what she was talking about was what I was, was the feel that I was getting from the physicians that treated me and also the, the physicians and the nurses that were treating my mother. And We've had her on several times now, and yeah, and and, and right now, uh, for those that you know, we're, we'll get to the interview in just a second. But before that, she is also on with Dr. Drew Pinsky, and I don't know if was he a national show yes. that he had the Love Lines or uh, whatever. I think it's so, I think I Love think Lines so, was yes. national, but locally he had a he had a show on radio yes, before it became the national did. show. But anyway, he yeah he's a physician that's you know been in the media for a long time and he has a youtube channel uh so look him up dr drew he's uh, on facebook right uh he's pretty active on twitter as well he has added dr Vil victory as a co-host on their weekly show that drops on wednesday and i cannot encourage people enough because they are not both simpatico on everything they're not but it's it's great to see uh dr kelly victory on 
the same show with Dr. Drew Pinsky. And I want to I want to say this one more time. I don't I think it's great that we all have the freedom to make our own decisions and to listen to the information that all of the doctors have to say about what they experienced with COVID or any disease, flu, illness, cold, it comes around. But um, before I made a decision, for example, well, I didn't have a whole lot of choice because my employer insisted that we get the vaccine or we lose our job. But uh, there was a lot of thinking it out for me, not because I'm anti-vax. I'm not. It's just that it was pretty early. Yeah. And there was a lot of weird things going on. I just got this weird vibe with things. And so I don't expect you to necessarily agree, but I hope that people listen and know that this is a legit physician and there are many who had other experiences and it's important to hear them all. I agree. And we have her on the phone right now. So let's get to it. Welcome back to Snack a Little, Talk a Little, Dr. Kelly Victory. Hey, thanks for having me. Hey, Kelly. Thanks for coming back. I think before we get into a lot of the questions that we have, we're kind of taking a, a look in the rear view mirror. Uh, that's the approach that we're taking with this show because we do have new listeners all the time. And I want to sort of catch them up to speed with everything that's gone on for the last couple of years. But first of all, why don't you talk to people about your credentials? What makes you uh, a good person to be speaking about uh, what's been going on, both psychologically as well as medically speaking? Terrific. And again, thanks for having me. Um, for those who don't know, I, I am a uh, trauma and emergency physician by training. For many, many years, I practiced um, hospital-based trauma medicine uh, as an emergency physician. And then I branched out, frankly, into um, the mass casualty world. And I um, became a mass casualty and disaster preparedness and response expert and spent uh, a couple of decades doing that. As a result of that, I um, became very much involved in public health, and I subsequently went and got postgraduate training in public health at a number of places, including Harvard, where I attended a program um, for building what they called meta-leaders for times of mass casualty and of crisis. Um, so I became somewhat of a crisis expert on top of it. Uh, so for the last several decades, I've spent my life um, working on large disasters, whether it's uh, active shooter scenes or natural disasters like hurricanes, floods, pandemics, things of that sort. I was the chief medical officer uh, for a number of Fortune 100 companies, including during the 2003 SARS uh, pandemic. So I got some real-time, real-life experience there. Right. So I bring a, a, an unusual, perhaps, perspective to the, to the party here mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to COVID-19, because I spent decades as a practicing physician. I have a lot of training and expertise in large disasters. And I also have expertise in crisis and crisis management. Um, on top of that, I, before I ever became a physician, I was a psychologist. Uh, my first degree is in psychology. So I bring uh, some of that perspective as well. So when the when the pandemic started, um, I was looking at it from a, through a number of different lenses. Number one, as a physician, 
and saying right out of the box that much of what the initial response was, and when I mean initial, I mean in the first days and weeks when we heard that there was a novel virus, which is worrisome, and we heard that people are getting quite ill with it, which is worrisome. And let me stop but you for things- just a quick second. So are you talking about back in what, November in China or when it was here? I'm talking about when it when I first really learned that there was something on the horizon, which okay. was the end of November, December of 2019, yes. right. that okay. there was something in Asia. So it had not yet hit in the U.S. Um, and, you know, so I was keeping very much up with, you know, what, what data was rolling in and what we were seeing, what kinds of symptomatology, who it was impacting and things of that sort. When it first hit the the U.S. and it was destined to because of international travel, it's very very unlikely that you weren't going to see uh, some domestic cases here. Yes, I was shocked at the right out of the box when they started talking about things like people should wear face masks, and I looked at my colleagues and said. For, for whatever reason, would you wear a face mask? This is a respiratory virus. Is there something they know that that we don't? Uh, perhaps there's something they haven't, you know, we haven't learned about yet. Um, so that was the first clue, the idea of wearing face masks, because we've known for decades that face masks do little, really, essentially nothing to mm-hmm. stop the spread of respiratory viruses. Then very, very quickly, they started coughing up things like, um, and I use, pardon the pun, coughing, <laughs> but uh, uh, they, they start, you know, uh, things like social distancing. And within a matter of weeks, everybody, uh, public health, quote, experts, people on the mainstream media, physicians all over, the, you know, politicians are using this term social distancing. And I'm saying, you know, I, I'm a residency trained, board certified trauma and emergency physician with decades of experience and postgraduate training in public health. And I defy you to find a single book in my extensive library where the phrase social distancing appears it's a made-up concept right it's totally made up it's a marketing uh, said, term absolutely so but you know yet people were you know frantically talking about you know six feet apart and so these things were very very quickly early on there was this bizarre response that was coming from people who were supposedly experts Now, you know, in what I train people with regard to leadership in times of crisis, a huge part of that training is getting people to understand that you cannot make good decisions and you sure as heck cannot lead when you are in fear. Uh, Fear does not, people do not make good decisions. They don't think clearly. They're incapable of really high level thought when you are in what we call the basement, when you are working from your reptilian brain, from your, you know, just stimulus response, you're acting out of fear. And that's what people were doing very, very early on. Then on top of it, um, it was exacerbated by this very bizarre, unprecedented um, sort of a a, uh, philosophy of not allowing people to speak or ask questions. Yes. Uh, I've been a physician for more than 30 years. I've been involved in public health for 20 of that 30 years. I teach extensively. I speak and write on things related to mass casualty and disaster and crisis intervention and leadership in times of crisis. I have never 
had people people disagree with me uh, all the time. Robust, vigorous debate previously was a cornerstone in medicine. It's something that we relied upon. Respectful debate, but robust debate. Um, you know, one of the things we did every single month at the hospital was a conference called Morbidity and Mortality, where the physicians get together and they review all the cases that didn't go well from the different departments over the month. And they kind of argue it out and say, well, why did this happen? Why did that patient have a, a an infection? Or why did that patient die? Or why did that patient end up in the ICU? And did you consider this? And what about that? And what made you think that, you know, and we sort of duke it out. And that's how you learn that's how and you get, get better. That, that's how you get better. Right. That's sure. how you recognize was a mistake made or was it just bad luck? Um, those sorts of things. So all of a sudden, and again, this was early. This we're, we're now in 2020, but we're now talking sort of, you know, April, May of 2020, when those of us on the front lines and those of us who are thinking are saying things like, well, we know, for example, that we had drugs that worked against SARS-CoV-1 back in 2003. Uh, we know right after that, you know, even the, the NIH published studies, along with Anthony Fauci, by the way, talking about hydroxychloroquine back in 2005 wow. hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine were very very effective against SARS-CoV-1 uh and so I thought well why in the world would we not at least try hydroxychloroquine it was very effective as acknowledged by the NIH and multiple studies against a SARS that was pretty darn similar to this one so although this one is quote novel it had some components that were very similar to SARS-CoV-1 that happened in 2003. But even saying the word hydroxychloroquine all of a sudden got you banned from social media right. and, and derided and ridiculed and criticized. So there was this just this building bizarre response is what I, I shook my head over and over again. I remember driving down the road. It was probably in April, and I saw signs up that they were going to cancel a big tennis tournament in Southern California, yep. April or May, I guess. And I thought- March, March, you're, actually. You're gonna March, I've, okay. I worked that tournament as an announcer, so. <laughs> okay, okay, so, so yeah, so I remember it was very early on, we're talking 2020, March right. of 2020. Outdoors. Yeah. They were gonna, uh, they were gonna cancel an outdoor tennis tournament because right. Some older people in nursing homes are getting sick with this virus. And I thought, so, you know, of all the egregious errors that were made in this pandemic, and that's a long list from which to choose, um, perhaps the most egregious was that public health officials were acting as if everyone was at equivalent risk. That yes. was another, when we knew from the very, very beginning that this was a disease that an illness an infection that profoundly impacted mostly the elderly and people with a very well-known set of comorbidities specifically obesity diabetes and severe heart disease we also knew from the very beginning that young relatively healthy people and when i say young i mean under the age of 50 uh, we're at a very, very low risk of having a severe illness and that children, people under the age of 18, were at essentially at risk so low from severe disease as to be indistinguishable from zero. It was right. essentially zero 
risk of severe illness. Not that they couldn't contract it, but that they just didn't get ill with it. And this is when we were talking about the original Wuhan strain, which was right. very, very severe. So again, there's all these things happen. There, there are these public health responses, you know, masks, social distancing, you know, bathing in Purell, you know, staying inside, <laughs> limiting the, the capacity at bars and restaurants, all of these weird things. And then at the same time, acting as if everyone's at equivalent risk and we're all going to die. And the best you can do is hide in your basement, bathe in Purell and hope to heck that somebody creates a vaccine. Right. So and shut your business. It, and and shut your work. business. <laughs> yeah. Right. And don't go to, you know, there's another one lockdowns. We have known for decades that lockdowns simply do not work to stop uh, the spreads of these sorts of things. And they do so much damage. They do far more damage than they do good because you end up penalizing and hurting, you know, the entire population. You know, the mandate in public health is to quarantine the few to protect the many. Right. You don't quarantine the many to protect the few. Right. Uh, it is, uh, and there's a reason we haven't used lockdowns in the past. We did very briefly for about 10 days during one of the original Ebola outbreaks in Sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, we Public health officials tried a lockdown for about 10 days and it took 10 days to realize we are doing far more damage than good. The concept of quarantine is as old, you know, as biblical. Uh, the concept of quarantine goes back to, you know, the leper colonies, right. where you mm -hmm. take people who are actively sick, actively capable of spreading disease, and you keep those people away from the general public. That's quarantine. When you take healthy people and you make them stay home, that's not called quarantine. That's called tyranny. Right. OK, yes. there's a different word. That's not quarantine, people. Uh, there is no such thing as quarantining healthy people. OK, so then let's go on to the next. And these were all kind of they were coming in in um, waves that they would come out with things. So you say, OK, now, well, now at least we've got lots of people who have gotten this disease. And as I said, they've, they've gotten this illness. They've gotten over it because they're otherwise young and healthy and they had a, you know, a bad kind of viral infection for, you know, five or seven days and they got over it. So now we've got lots of people who have natural immunity. Oh, no. For the first time in history, we're now going to ignore or act as if natural immunity doesn't exist. Or it's still not enough. Yeah, or we might not, have exactly. some, but it's just not quite enough yet. Right. So you think about all the other viral illnesses that are out there. And once you have them, you, you know, you are considered to have at least some significant level of natural immunity for a period of time. Certainly, you know, it doesn't necessarily last forever. Uh, you, if you get chickenpox, measles, mumps, those sorts of things, that's, you know, generally lasts a lifetime. If you come down with influenza, uh, it, it doesn't last a lifetime, but it generally lasts several years. Yes. Um, you know, Okay, so we know that that was, again, something that absolutely not based in science, yet despite the fact that they were every day, you know, hacking up some new hairball of, of uh, guidance <laughs> that we were supposed to follow, um, it, they kept saying that people like me who were questioning these things and saying, 
this is insanity. None of this uh, is rooted in science. We're, they were saying that I was the science denier. I'm right. not following the science. Right. Um, it, and they were punishing people to a level. And when I say punishing, I mean whether it was because you were being banned on social media, ridiculed in, in the newspapers, uh, you know, having smear articles written about you, which happened to me over and over and over again. I was banned from almost every social media platform within a matter of months. By June, I was I'd been kicked off of YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. I'd had multiple timeouts on Twitter. I didn't get finally permanently banned from Twitter until the beginning of 2021, I think it was, or I can't remember, 2022, I guess it was. And for um, our for our new listeners, uh, just so that all of you know, it was for posting information that was actually data that was, uh, that came from the military. I don't remember. Uh, yes, no, no I, yeah, my first, um, you, you get sort of three big strikes on Twitter. My first strike of quote misinformation was for making the factual statement, hydroxychloroquine was FDA approved for use in humans in 1942. And that's a fact. It was an irrefutable <laughs> yeah. fact, right. okay? I, I got kicked off for a week uh, for that bit of misinformation. Shame on then, you. Yes. Th yes. Th then I posted that ivermectin uh, is available over the counter in almost every country other than the United States. Again, an irrefutable fact. You can walk into, you know, almost any pharmacy in Europe and buy ivermectin the way we buy Tylenol. Uh -huh. That got me a month suspension. And then I had the audacity to post the sworn testimony, a link to the sworn testimony of three military physicians who testified in front of Congress with regard to the incidence of certain medical conditions, including blood clots, strokes, those sorts of things that they were seeing uh, in 2021 after the vaccines came out. And for posting that sworn testimony, I was permanently banned from Twitter for that. So, I mean, clearly, yeah, I don't think it's right to ban anybody for citing their opinion. Uh, they, we have a Agreed. First Amendment for for a reason. But the things, interestingly, that I ended up getting banned for were all irrefutable fact. This wasn't Kelly Victory's opinion. Right. Um, you know these. So it just goes to show. So this was all going on at the same time, and it became. It was very very clear to me, as I said back in the beginning of 2020 that something was afoot that there's something going on far far more sinister than a virus that came from a lab in wuhan um there's something far more nefarious going on because we have public health officials and mainstream media all of whom are clearly speaking from the same script they all have the same playbook they all are citing the same insane non-scientific things whether it was masking social distancing lockdowns the idea that you know everybody was going to get sick from this that there was no differentiation in terms of who was at the higher uh, risk levels uh, they were shutting down anybody who talked about the number of well-known therapeutics uh, we knew again another bit of information that we knew very early on about who was getting really severely ill, we knew that vitamin D deficiency 
was significantly linked to a worse outcome or worse disease with COVID vitamin D deficiency, which is in very, very common. Uh, upwards of sure. 80% of African-Americans in the United States are vitamin D deficient. About 50% of Latinos are, and more than 30% of, of white people, of Caucasians are vitamin D deficient. So we know that getting your vitamin D levels up high was significantly associated with a better outcome. Yet no one would talk about that. None of the public health officials would say, even if you believed that we needed to get a vaccine uh, created very quickly, why wouldn't you talk about the other things that you should be doing in the meantime? Things like getting regular exercise, good nutrition, losing weight, since we knew the connection with obesity, supplementing vitamin D, taking zinc, things that we know are very, very good for your immune system overall, yet not a single public health official. To this day, Anthony Fauci, Rochelle Walensky, Deborah Burks have never acknowledged the association of bad outcome from COVID with obesity or vitamin D deficiency. Not once did they suggest doing the simple, inexpensive, well-tolerated, over-the-counter things like supplementing vitamin D, taking zinc, quercetin, vitamin C, those sorts of things. Not once, despite the fact that we have hundreds and hundreds of studies that show that those things would have helped, let alone did they never talk about things like hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. In fact, they went out of their way to put the kibosh on those things. Right, to, to shut, to say shut that down you know, discussion on that at all. A absolutely. And say that, you know, ivermectin is a horse dewormer, thinking, right. you know, give me... Then, you know, again, when we talk about sort of where we've been, they immediately, while ignoring those things and not allowing us to speak about those things and threatening medical licenses and censorship and, you know, calling you a misinformation uh, spewer, tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist, if you talked about those things, instead, they did what you would have expected by big pharma. They start cranking out new untested medications like remdesivir okay yes, you know yes. which which we in in you know anyone who's honest you know called you know renamed it you know run death is near uh, <laughs> right because it, it, that that that's that's what happened it caused renal failure there's a reason it had been tried in the past and and met with horrible outcomes but remdesivir you know three thousand dollars a pop they started giving to people rather than giving them simple easy dirt cheap drugs like hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin and steroids uh, you know they started pushing for the idea of a uh, vaccine very very early now you know despite what people have said about me during these past three years, I am not an anti-vaxxer, anything but. I've I've been referred to as a vaccine zealot in the past because I have spoken and written prolifically on the importance of vaccines. But there is a reason why vaccines take six to eight years on average to come to market, if they ever come to market at all. There are a heck of a lot of viruses out there for which scientists have never been able to create a safe and effective vaccine. Think about simple things like herpes. 
Do you think we haven't tried to come up with a vaccine for herpes? Oh, you right. know, Coxsackie, Coxsackie virus, yes. no, yeah. neurovirus that takes down cruise ships. You know, it's the one that causes cruise ships to, you know, have to, you know, shut down because they have outbreaks of, of you know, essentially dysentery, you know, diarrhea and mm-hmm. vomiting. It's not that we haven't tried to come up with vaccines for those viruses. It's that vaccinology is incredibly complex. The immune system doesn't always respond to a vaccine the way that you think it's going to. And that's why it takes, you know, upwards of, you know, six to eight years, as I said, just to get some basic testing, not only on efficacy, but importantly, on safety. Furthermore, never Never in the history of medicine have we used a therapeutic on groups of people on whom it was never tested. So they come up with this vaccine. They hack it out in less than a year, which is insane. You simply had no safety, appreciable safety data on it and minimal efficacy data on it. But it was never tested specifically on pregnant women lactating women, people with underlying autoimmune diseases, people with cancer, people on certain medications. And importantly, it was never tested on people who had already had and recovered from COVID. They were specifically eliminated from the very limited testing that happened at all. Those groups of people were all eliminated. If you were pregnant, lactating, autoimmune disease, cancer, on you know any appreciable medications, if you'd already had COVID, all of these people were eliminated. Are you so, aware of whether those kind of tests are being done now? Or are we still? No, they're not being tested. Oh, no, they're heavens. not being tested at all. Wow. They're not, they're not being tested. There's zero of that. And in fact, you know, the VAERS system, the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, was put in place by the CDC. That's the CDC's creation. They put it in place 24 years ago as a early warning system. It was specifically designed by them to be the proverbial canary in the coal mine. What we want to have this out there so that anybody, a doctor, a an individual, you know, a, a citizen can post to this website if they think they're having an adverse event to a vaccine so that we know immediately before big, you know, uh, large numbers of people are harmed, we'd know. So you take, for example, The swine flu vaccine back in 1976 was pulled from the market after there were 25 reports of possible deaths related to that vaccine. 25. Wow. It was pulled from the market. Yet within a matter of a month, we had tens of thousands of reports to VAERS of serious adverse events, including possible deaths. And not only did it not get pulled, the CDC has essentially failed to even recognize it. They say that, oh, they're over-report, over people are over-reporting it. Now, we've known from a, <laughs> many, many studies done well prior to COVID, including a large one done by Harvard, that showed that the VIR system under-reports by anywhere from 10 to 100 times. Wow. Oh. 10 to 100 times mm. under-reported. Because it's not simple to fill out. The, the paperwork is extensive. Many, many people, you know, when you have a bad ev- event, you know, say say you get a vaccine and you develop Guillain-Barre syndrome, you mm-hmm. become paralyzed, or you develop even something relatively mild like Bell's palsy. 
the, the last thing on many people's minds or most people's minds is, oh, let me run and start filling out some paperwork. Yes, on right. their system. Same. You, 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 you're you really worried about your health. Until COVID, get... I didn't even know that was a thing, honestly. Exactly. Right. And so, so most people, if they're having a bad event, you know, you develop a blood clot or you have a stroke or something, you just, that's not your top priority. Right. So unless somebody else says, well, you know, gosh, let's get this done for you. You know, a family member or a doctor says that it, it just doesn't happen. So underreporting has always been an issue with theirs. All of a sudden now with COVID, um, we're led to believe that there's over reporting. I right. mean, this is insanity. <laughs> so, so, uh, you know, all of these things together, again, it just, it wasn't one thing that yes. was happening. It was all of these things that, and as a result, I kept you know, saying, you know, what the heck is going on here? What the heck is going on here? Not because I'm an anti-vaxxer and not because I, you know, a virus denier or some other, um, you know, ad hominem attack somebody wants to make. Um, it, it's because it, we were acting in a way that was simply unprecedented, unscientific, and unhelpful. And you were being uh, it, it attacked wasn't... for trying to do your job, not just you, but colleagues of yours as well. Yes, for trying absolutely. to do your job. And so, you know, fortunately for me, um, I am well connected enough in academic circles that I very, very quickly uh, was able to connect with a group of people who were willing to speak openly and honestly. And I began speaking with those people on a regular basis, meaning daily, hourly, uh, it, it, many times, and it was people like you know Peter, you know uh, Peter McCullough, and who, Paul by the Alexander, way, more Harvey than thirty Reich. years, Peter McCullough, more than thirty years experience in the medical field. He's a cardiologist, and he has had his license revoked, has he not? No, his not his license, but his his med, his um, board certification. He had his board certification stripped from him, which is tantamount. You know, once which is you horrible. lose your board certification, you, you are hard pressed to get admitting privileges to a hospital. And furthermore, most third party payers, most insurance companies will stop reimbursing you. They will stop paying. You know, so it's uh, fundamentally a way to uh, render someone unable to practice medicine for, for trying it's, to help people. Right. It's absolutely it's absolutely unprecedented. Many, many physicians have had uh, their licenses threatened in the great state of California. Yes. Uh, that just passed AB 2098. Yes. You know, essentially they've, they've fundamentally criminalized people doing what I am doing right now. Do you right? know, Calif have you heard, will there be lawsuits? Is there something that will that somebody's going to try to do? To stop oh, this? there will be. The, there are multiple lawsuits. Okay, yes, good. this will end up at this, and and I I guarantee Peter McCullough's case will end up in the Supreme Court. Good. The problem is that it doesn't keep them from destroying his livelihood and his life yes. in the years that it takes because the wheels of justice turn, but they turn very very slowly. Right. Uh, and so, in the same way that I, I have faced seven formal complaints against my medical license in multiple states. Um, I successfully defended myself against them each time, but it takes an inordinate amount of time. Yes. Uh, it takes tremendous. You have to stop everything else you're doing. You have to respond to things, you know, draft documents, respond to, you know, queries. It's incredibly time consuming. It's expensive. Uh, and it's frankly, emotionally debilitating. Oh, yes, if I I'm were sure. not so 
yeah, if I were not so certain about where I stand on this, and I am, I have no fear. I truly don't. People have said to me from the beginning, watch your back, like literally yeah. watch your back. And I joked many times and said, you know, for the record, uh, I am very, very happy. Uh, I am not depressed. I just <laughs> had the brakes checked on my truck and I don't own a wood chipper. So uh I think so, the so. <laughs> experience that you've had leading up to this, I think that, I mean, I don't want to say it was meant to be, but I think that it, you're well prepared to handle uh, what's going on right now. Um, and so I'm grateful. Absolutely. I'm grateful for yeah. that. Well, and I've said to many people, you know, I, I have been incredibly critical and I remain critical of my colleagues who have not who have not only not spoken up, but ha have you know drank the Kool-Aid. I've right. said to many of them um, publicly, I sat next to you in virology class. What the hell, you, you right. know this is not And speaking scientific. of one of your colleagues, I know Mark's got a question for you, but I just wanna make sure that people know, because again, we have new listeners. Dr. Victory every Wednesday is now, would you say co-hosting with Dr. Drew Pinsky? And they have some amazing, superstars on with these two superstars and getting a lot of the information out there that you wouldn't be hearing otherwise. And it's such a great platform because I know that he's got such a broad reach of people that believe all sorts of things. And I'm so yeah. glad that that it's not getting shut down for the most part. And I'm glad, I know sometimes there are issues on YouTube. Still, and I just want to say, I'm glad that you were on that show. Yes. Because it gives you another avenue to spew the truth spew as it. you do. <laughs> and, yes. and it's fantastic to see you on. And uh, we'll, 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 uh, we'll link that on our, on our show yeah. because it is, it is a great thing to have, uh, Dr. Kelly Vickery and all on opinions. with Dr. Drew. And Pinsky. Dr. Drew, you guys, we will post um, some links on there for you, but you guys don't always agree and that's okay. And that's part of your the point you've been making is it's okay, it's how you learn. Well, they, well, I appreciate that. And that's that's really how that show was born. I've known Drew for, for 30 plus years and I was an occasional guest of his when something would come up related to other um, mass casualty or public health issues, uh -huh. uh, you know, whether it was active shooters or whatever else. And when it started, when the COVID pandemic began, he and I disagreed vehemently. He really was a huge believer um, in lots of these things, including the the wet market theory. Mm -hmm. And he believed that, you know, that every in social distancing and masking. And he was a huge proponent of the vaccines. So we would disagree vehemently. What happened over time was as the data started to pour in. And I think Drew started to really realize that he, if nothing else, should be a little bit more circumspect about yes. some of these things um, that perhaps he shouldn't have um, been so quick to run to remdesivir um, or yes. things of that sort and so quick to suggest vaccines for everyone. Um, he, I think he, he really started to bring me on more and more frequently. Mm -hmm. Then he, when he realized how bad the censorship had gotten, 
he said, this is just not right. And so we launched the Every Wednesday show uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, to give a platform and a voice to people like myself who had been silenced uh, to get the information out there. Because again, it, silencing people and censoring people and it isn't just an affront to my First Amendment right. It's really an affront to the right of all people to hear alternative views yes. to right. hear data right. presented by other people you know the the, the government the fda the cdc uh, you know has a long history of being wrong about things <laughs> they, well, this is remember thalidomide uh you mean, right. you, know, you guys might be too young but no no, no. I, many we know it from the billy joel song <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know that you know that we you know we, we had there have been other times when um, the government, the CDC, the FDA has launched on people things that have backfired. So when well, Drew asked me to do the Wednesday show, the idea was for me to invite a guest of my choice, some people from my group. And yeah. that's what I have done for is, you know, I've had everybody from, you know, uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. Right. to uh, Naomi Wolf and, and Alex Berenson. Alex Berenson. Awesome. Uh, let, me, let me ask you this. We only have about a minute left. And, I, okay. and, and, and we appreciate all your information, but what you just hit on is what my, my final question here is, is are we ever going to be able to trust the CDC again? I, I think that's really the pivotal question, Mark. And I think the answer is no. They have done tremendous damage to their reputation and to the confidence that people have in these institutions. They have undermined people's confidence in the CDC, the FDA, the federal government. I fear that they have done tremendous damage to vaccine programs in general, because many people will uh, generalize this abject failure. And that's what it is. These vaccines are disastrous. They should have been pulled from the market. They should never have been launched uh, yeah. in the first place, wow. but they should have been pulled within a matter of weeks. Uh, we have just seen the tip of the iceberg with regard to what we're going to see in terms of adverse events from these vaccines. We are just beginning to understand the profoundly negative impact it has on the immune system. We're going to see a huge uptick in incidence of cancers, autoimmune issues, neurologic problems, fertility issues going forward. Um, I wish that that weren't the case, but it's true. And yes, it will undermine people's confidence. God help us next time we as public health officials try to get people to pay heed because there will be a next thing. Right. I can't tell you what it right. will be, but right. there will be a next thing when we need people right. to listen to what we say. Our guest has been Dr. Kelly Victory. Dr. Kelly, thanks for coming on again. We appreciate you coming on, filling us in on what's happening, and we hope to have you on again real soon. Really? soon. We love you. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Wow, Jana, another great segment with, with Dr. Dr. Kelly, Dr. Kelly Victory. Wow. Yeah, great yeah stuff. that was really good. It was informative. And for again, for you new listeners and for everybody else that's listened to her before, we just kind of wanted to take a look in the rearview mirror and... I think we did a really good job. We could just yeah. keep talking. I get well. I got to say, so uh, something that she brought up. Uh, she's talked about the big Tennis event out in the you know Palm Springs area, or, or it's actually in Indian Wells. Mm -hmm. It's actually known as the Indian Wells Tennis Tournament in the tennis world because I work there. I got to give a little bit, even though I didn't like that they canceled the event. Yeah. Or uh, I got to give a little bit of a credit 
to Tommy Haas, who is the uh, tournament director, and I know you don't know who he is, but he was a former tennis player, mm-hmm. tournament director, because a few years ago, because it's an international tournament where you know players and coaches from all over the world are convening, mm-hmm. a few years ago, there was an outbreak of a 24-hour horrible flu virus that made you vomit and have diarrhea for uh, 24 hours. It was unbelievable. I thought I was going to die. I got every, almost everyone out there got it. It spread throughout. I mean, one of the, obviously a couple of the players traveling, it was actually from China. Mm-hmm. A couple of the players, because there was a tournament uh, in China, I think a few weeks before or a week before. Anyway, this this spread everywhere. Everyone was getting sick. But it, fortunately, it was only a 24-hour thing. After 24 hours, you were fine. In fact, some players, because hmm. in the tennis world, you play every other day, mm-hmm. and some of the players got it for their off day and still were able to compete. But a lot of players did have to drop out. Oh. So I can understand when all of a sudden it's like, hey, there's this major virus coming from China, you know, t- t- telling the tournament director, yeah. and, and uh, you know, we have this big tournament coming up that he... I didn't sure. like that he pulled the plug, but there's a part of it to me that's understandable sure. because of what had happened a few years. I think before. we're you know we're sensitive to it in light of everything that was being um, manipulated. It seemed right. anyway. I just wanted to give a you know a little softer shout out there. To I Tommy just want to know you know normally <laughs> again for you new listeners, usually not always, but most of the time we ring the bell. When it's something that's, you know, kind of naughty and sexual. So, Mark, do you want to tell us something about your love of diarrhea and vomit? (laughs) (laughs) Ladies. (laughs) I'm just saying. (laughs) This is something I didn't know about you. (laughs) It was not. I have, but I tell you, it did give me one of my great poop stories ever. But I don't know if I'll share that on the, certainly not on this show. Maybe when we have another poop show or something. I have a a great poop, vomit, urine story. I can't wait. (laughs) Ladies. And on that note, you guys, I want to give you the information about where you can find all sorts of information, not only about um, the coronavirus, but, well, it is about coronavirus, but earlycovidcare.org has all kinds of data and information. This is factual, for real information. Right. Go there. You don't have to believe it. Yeah, but don't believe us. Don't it. believe Dr. Kelly Victory. Go and read but the studies find yourself. Out and then before you make your decisions, I would be behoove you to do that. But also, you can find Dr. Victory on Getter, G E T T R, at Kelly Victory MD. And come on back.